Good morning, everyone. Do you know what? I got a couple of stories to start with, because stories are awesome, aren't they? And we are in a series called Kingdom Carriers, where we are pushing into learning more about what it means to carry the presence and power of God. And so these are, here's a story from one of our youth and one of our students, because we put out a little email and said, if you've, done, if you've got a story that you want to share, then let us know. And so these are just awesome. It's about people stepping out in faith. Last Friday, in my last free period, I was with one of my friends when one of them started crying. Her grandfather had just gone into chemo that weekend, so she was worried and stressed. I froze. There's nothing you can possibly say in that situation to make it better. But I also just couldn't sit there. So I prayed a silent prayer, hoping God would have the answer. He did. He told me to offer her prayer. I hadn't offered prayer to a person without faith since last March when I completely lost my confidence. I immediately rejected that idea. There was no way I could offer her prayer. However, two minutes later, when she was still crying and I was out of options, I knew I had to try. Now, the thing was that we were in the middle of the busy sixth form common room surrounded by friends. And I resolved, it's always the way, isn't it? And I resolved to offer to go with her to the toilets where hopefully I could offer to pray for her in private. However, she wanted to stay in the common room. Oh, no. It was then that I realized that I'd have to pray for her then and there. Praying to God for courage, I stuttered out and offered to pray for her silently, crossing my fingers that she would say no. She looked surprised but said yes quickly. We sat we kind of sat in awkward silence for a moment before I offered to pray for her then and there. I laid my hand on her shoulder and prayed for peace and healing for her grandfather in front of my friends and year group. I was flipping terrified. Although after I'd finished praying, she told me that she was so touched that I'd offered to pray for her. Despite my utter refusal at first, God used me in a way that only he could. And though it still terrifies me to pray for people without faith, I'm excited for the next time God will use me to bring him into my community. That's awesome, isn't it? Stepping out in faith. Let me give you another one. It doesn't end there. We're just getting warmed up. Last week, one of my close friends was admitted to hospital as an emergency to see the ENT specialist. She had nothing on her but her phone, so I went to see her and bring a charge, a blanket, and some other home comforts. The doctors were convinced she'd be in for five to ten days and was scheduled to have an operation the next morning. She was in a drip. She was on a drip in a room of eight to ten people, and in a moment of courage, I offered to read a verse from Luke. And although she isn't a Christian, she was happy to listen, so I started to read the passage to her in front of everyone in a very silent room. I then offered to pray for her, and she agreed, so again I prayed aloud for healing and peace over her. I left later on in the evening, and she said that she sparked up a conversation with the guy in the room about God and what it means to have a faith. I was so surprised. The next morning, she called me to tell me the doctors were amazed. Not only did she not need the operation anymore, she was being released from hospital at lunchtime. She was so thankful for the prayer, and I left her with a Bible, which she said she'd been reading. Such an amazing moment of miraculous healing and showed the immense power and movement of God in such a scary situation. Yay, Jesus. I think we should be a little bit more excited. I'm not happy with the level of excitement. We've moved from nothing to lukewarm, but um, we're going to work on super passion for next week. So as I said, we're in a series on kingdom carriers, um, which is really what does it mean to carry the power and the presence of the Lord into every environment in which we go into? The truth is we do. If we're Christians, he's living inside us. He's given us the Holy Spirit, and that means we carry the Holy Spirit with us. But I think so often as Christians, we're not confident in what we have and what the Lord's given us. And so just to give you a minor recap of the series so far. Paul started it off and he talked about authority. What does it look like to carry the authority of God? And he just used this image of a 10 pound note and he said, the 10 pound note's there, we just have to take it. All authority is in 
him. So in God, it's not our authority, it's his authority. We just have to take it and walk in it. So that was week one. Matt then took, took on the baton for week two. And he talked about how everybody is invited into this. The danger is we sit there and we love to disqualify ourselves and say, oh, it's somebody else. And I think reading these stories of our youth and our students, we should be so encouraged that, you know, they're sitting there. We haven't got it all together, but they're there stepping out in faith. So this, this is for everybody. Everybody gets to play. I then took on the relay for leg three. And um, I was running hard and fast and talking about prayer and that intimacy releases authority. So it's, it's this idea as, as we begin to spend time with the Father, as we begin to spend time in the presence of God, that releases authority. Intimacy releases authority. Steve Nicholson then from America came over to take the baton for the fourth leg. Not a quick runner, but definitely powerful. And um, we had him last week. And he started in Acts and talked really through the beginning of Acts 2, which is what happened at Pentecost, when the power of God came. And he said there's a number of things that happened. That as the disciples sat there, they were waiting for this gift that, G- that was going to, you know, Jesus had been taken up to heaven. And they're, they're waiting in Jerusalem. And you just picture that moment, terrified. What's going on? How's this going to work? And Jesus said, wait for the gift that I'm going to give you. They had no idea what this gift is. They're sitting together in this room when the power of God comes in, like the rushing of of wind comes into the room, that tongues of fire come to rest over each one of their heads. And as a result of this, they are catapulted outwards. The Spirit of God fills them, and they are sent out, and they start speaking in different tongues, which was so amazing because there were so many people gathered in Jerusalem at that time from all around, and as they started speaking out in tongues, then people realized that they were speaking in their own language. And so just this, amazing, and, and Steve just said, you know what, they were overwhelmed. When, this, when the power and presence of God comes, what happens is we're overwhelmed. That's the first point. Then secondly, barriers are broken down. The barriers come down, race and class and all of these things, they, male, female, they don't matter. They're gone because the power of God comes into that place. And, um, and then power, the, we see the power. So there's a little recap of the series. I have been listening. So we're going to pick it up in Acts. I hope you've been listening. Some of you are like, man alive. Is that what happens? We're going to pick it up in Acts 2, 14, verse 14 today, which is really straight after this passage where the power of God has rested on the disciples and the Holy Spirit has empowered them. And it says this. So then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Just an amazing passage. I will pour out my spirit on all people. If you were to kind of have a link verse for this morning, it would be, I will pour out my spirit on all people. You know, there's a little bit of imagery at the end of that passage that we might be sitting there going, what's it talking about? Blood and fire and billows of smoke. Joel was an Old Testament prophet. 
And so he's actually referring back to Exodus in this moment, to some of the plagues. So some of the imagery is Exodus imagery. And so as we were reading it, we're like, what's that last bit of the passage? He's referring back into Exodus. So this passage was written into Joel and then quoted here in, the, in Acts. And we, so we see it. And so it's talking about prophecy and visions and dreams and the pouring out of the Spirit. And, and the Bible promises that this gift of the Holy Spirit cannot be domesticated. We love to try and take the power of God and domesticate it and fit it into a box and say God can and can't do this. This is the power of God we're talking about. It's awesome. And the spirit is not tame. And this, this passage speaks to us about being filled with the spirit. What is a Christian? You know, when you break it open, what is a Christian? Big question in some senses. But a Christian is someone who is set on fire by God's spirit. As Danish theologian Kierkegaard put it so powerfully when he said, Christianity is fire setting. That's what it looks like. You know, we're given this image of fire in this passage when the tongues of fire come to rest on them. But actually what happens is when the power of God comes, the power of God comes into our hearts and it is powerful. And that's why when we're talking about carrying the kingdom, if we have the living God inside us, what does that bring into every environment that we're in? It brings God into every environment because God lives in us. Environments should change because we're in them. This is not a domesticated faith. This is not a tame faith. It's changed the world. And it's challenging. As we think about this, a fire setting is challenging because it, it can break off any apathy that we have right there. I'm saying it's fire setting. And therefore, I'm asking that as I'm speaking today, that the fire of God comes into our hearts. I don't want to give you a nice sermon that you go out and going, oh, what a lovely, what a lovely talk that was this morning. I'm utterly not changed in any way, but it was really beautiful how he put that together. It's like, no, this is, we're talking about a gospel of power. When you look at the church now, all of the problems facing the church declining attendance, attacks from without, cynicism around institutions, you know, how do people engage with moral corruption from within. What the church needs is men and women and children who are set on fire by God. That's what we need. And our greatest need is not better techniques. You know, sometimes we think, oh, do you know, if we just made it all slick, it definitely wasn't slick today. Epo was awesome, but we were not slick. It was not the greatest show on earth today. But we're not here for a show. We're here for the power of God. We're here because we are a community that gathers around the Holy Spirit and what God wants to do. Jesus did not leave us in the trenches to slug, us out, slug it out on our own. In Acts 1 verse 8, but you, will, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus didn't simply give us marching orders to go out into the world spreading the gospel. He said, I'm going to go with you. I'm going go, to give you my power and my authority to perform the mission that I've given you, and you are carrying my authority. We have to keep coming back to that. Not our authority, his authority. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit so you can carry out the marching orders that I'm going to give you into a very difficult world. It is a difficult world right now. I'm going to give you everything that you need to carry the, my kingdom. What am I talking about by my kingdom? Just to remind us, I'm talking about God's rule and reign. 
we come back to the Lord's prayer again and again. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're talking about by the kingdom. God's rule and reign, where his will is done, that's where the kingdom is breaking out. I will pour out my spirit on all people. We need to underline that word all in our Bibles and not just go straight over that. Sons and daughters, men and women, young and old, rich and poor, different nations and languages, all of that. I will pour out my spirit on all people. God's spirit is available to all. No barriers, no hierarchy, no favorites. Available to every single one of us. But what is it? What happens when the spirit of God comes in power? What does it look like? About six months ago, the Lord spoke to me about speaking on revival. And I've led a church in Wales now for over a decade. It's quite a long time, actually, I was thinking. And I've never, ever specifically spoken about revival. I have skirted the edges. I've dabbled. I've told an odd story or two. But many of you will know that this country in Wales, we have a rich and powerful heritage of God moving. We've seen the Lord move in power. What, is, what even is revival? Do you know what I mean? Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And revival is what happens when God visits in an intensified manner. There is an increased awareness of the power, the presence, the majesty, and the glory of God. All of those things. Revival, Duncan Campbell says this, revival is a community saturated with God. It comes out of every pore. You look at that community and you can see the power and presence of God in it. Terry Virgo says this, in the classical sense, revival is not, as some of our American brothers would regard it, a series of evangelistic meetings, but rather a phenomenal sovereign intervention from God, which starts in the church, often leading to profound repentance and fresh encounters with God. This overflows into the world, resulting in large numbers of conversions and ultimately leading to a climate of social change. Jonathan Edwards regarded revivals as God's major means of extending his kingdom. This is some, certainly something we desperately need in our modern society. That's what Terry Virgo says. It's an awakening. It's a desperation of God to move. Now, speaking just personally for a moment, I love, I absolutely love what Jesus is doing in our church. I love it. I'm, I, we have more stories of what God is doing day in, day out than we've ever had before. You know, I've been leading this for a while now. I'm seeing people mobilized in a way that I haven't seen. We are seeing people come to faith week in, week out. God's power and presence is evident in our gatherings when we meet together. Communities being formed, people are being baptized, young people are encountering Jesus. These are all good things. I'm, I'm really amazed by it. But I do long for more. In fact, there is a desperation for more and there is a brokenness for more. I long for God to move in such a way that whole communities turn to God. You know, we are seeing individuals turn to God and that, I love it. But I long for God to break in in greater power, that our sons and daughters are prophesying, that our young men are seeing visions, that our old men are dreaming dreams. Can you see, I want to live in it rather than talk about it. I long for a sovereign act of God because it's God that initiates. It's God that goes first and that we partner with to see hundreds and thousands of people come home to God. I don't know how we could not long for that. It's such an overwhelming vision sometimes 
that, I, that I'm kind of stuck and I'm humbled by it. I'm like, well, how do we even start? But our city needs it. Our nation needs it. I long for a fire in the belly of the church. That his bride that says, use us, spend us, pour us out, show us how to carry the kingdom in a greater measure. That we're sitting there going, how do I carry this kingdom more? How do, how do I get more of it? How do I carry it in a more powerful way? A fire of the Holy Spirit that burns in each one of us. A church that's set on fire where the dross and rubbish is burned away. A church where the focus is Jesus, undeniably Jesus. A church that's utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit. And if he says move, we move. And if he says go, we get, go. And if he says step out on the water, we step out on the water. A people who are obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. A people who only do what they see the Father doing. That it's not safe, it's risky, it costs. A people who are dependent on God. A people who will not settle, settle for consumer Christianity. Meet my needs, entertain me, serve me. Instead, they come in and they're saying, let me be a blessing, let me be a servant, let me carry the kingdom in a greater measure. Show me how to grow in intimacy. Show me how to grow in authority. Show me how to pray for the sick. Lord, speak to me in dreams and visions. Lord, let me prophesy in your name. That's what I long to see. There is a heaviness and there is an unease over our society right now. People are utterly lost. And I'm not just talking mildly lost. I'm talking utterly lost. They have, we live in a time where people have no consistent worldview anymore. And that is a really, really tough place to be in, is to not have a worldview. Which means that many of them are feeling utterly alone. I might personally feel a little bit rattled by Brexit. Do you know what? Because I do. I feel underlyingly slightly rattled by the whole thing. And I think many of us feel just this sense of unease. Speaking to Jen, and she was like, do you know what? I think there are lots of... She's a GP, uh, my wife. And she was like, I think there are, there's an underlying unease in our society and I see it showing up in my doctor's surgery that what happens is there is an underlying stress level in our society and when there's an underlying stress level what happens is it just begins to come out in all sorts of places and she's like I'm seeing it every day so there is an underlying stress level but my hope doesn't rest on our government that's really freeing I am called to pray for my leaders of this nation. I am, I want to pray for our nation because I want them to have wisdom from the Lord. Do you know what? Can I just stop for a moment? Can I just pray? We are in weird times. And I'm not, this is not a political statement. I don't want to get political with you at all, but we are called to pray for our leaders. That's what the Bible says. So, Lord, I just want to pray for our government. I want to pray for our leaders. I want to pray for our politicians. I want to pray for Theresa May. Lord, who'd want that job? Lord, give her everything that she needs. Wisdom. So Lord, we lift them up before you and pray. The, I just pray the power of God into that place. Lord, we love our country. And Lord, because we care about the poor, we care about those that have nothing. So, Lord, we come over agenda right now, and we pray for wisdom and protection and your power to break in. And, Lord, that actually you give us a power of authority in the gospel, that you give us a security in the book gospel that we will not be rocked.
because we know where our foundation is and we know what we stand on. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to speak for a moment about what happens when God transforms society. Because each time God moves, it's different. But there is a power in seeing God, how God has moved in the past, and it raises our faith that he can and wants to move again. And so I just want to tell you for five minutes, I just want to tell you a story of what happened here in our great nation. In 1904 in Wales, the overall spiritual condition of Wales was as dark as it's ever been. That's what they say. You know, in the language of the time, it would have been heavy drinking, prize fighting, gambling, prostitution. Do you know what I mean? It was society, basically society was a mess. And it was a bit wild. The authorities were close to losing what little control they had. Evan Roberts was the central figure in this move of God that happened. And he really was just an ordinary guy. I'm not here to build him up in any way. He was just a normal guy. And he began work in the mines age nine because his father broke his leg when he was nine. And so he had to go into the mine and he had to, had to work from a young age. He was uneducated because he was in that environment and that's what he had to do. And it wasn't until, but he, but deep down he always had this heart for preaching that God had put the message of the gospel deeply into his soul. And so he was like, one day I just want to preach the word of God. And so it wasn't until he was in his mid-20s, 25, 26, where he actually started to get an education in Newcastle, Emlyn. And so he went and began to study and for a period of time, Evan had been seeking the Lord, and he was just beginning. I talked about intimacy leads to authority. In his language, the, the intimacy with the Lord was growing. That would be what he would say, is that he was experiencing the Lord in more amazing ways. And one day before school, in the spring of 1904, he had this profound encounter with God that just undid him. The Lord revealed himself to Evan in such an amazing and overwhelming way that he was filled with divine and holy awe. Because I think that's what happens sometimes. I don't know whether you've ever had one of those experiences where you are just literally undone. The Isaiah moment, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I've seen the king. I think that's what it was. It was a t- I think it's seeing God in the fullness of his majesty and glory is not an easy thing. And... And as Steve talked about last week, what happened? He was overwhelmed. He was overwhelmed by the presence of God. And after this, he would go through periods of uncontrollably, uh, uncontrollable trembling for a four-week period that was so pronounced that his family were like, what is going on with you? What's happened to you? And the only thing that he would say is he would say it's something indescribable. I cannot describe what has just happened. He had been shaken to his core. And so one midnight, He's sitting in his room and his good friend, Sidney Evans, comes into the room to see, um, sorry, not, yeah, Sidney Evans comes into the room to find this guy, Evans' face, radiating the Lord, the holiness of the Lord. And he kind of breaks in on him and he's like, what on earth has happened to you? Like, you are literally shining. Like, there's a holy, there's a holiness of the Lord on you. Something's happened. What has happened to you? And astonished, he asked what had happened, and Evan replied, he'd just seen the whole of Wales being lifted up in heaven in a vision. 
And he, he then went on to prophesy in this moment. And he said, we are going to see the mightiest revival that Wales has ever known. And the Holy Spirit is coming just now. So that happened with just his best friend in the room. So he's had this four-week period of being unsettled by the Lord. Just the power of God's broken into his life. And then he prophesies, we are going to see a move of God in this nation. So what happens at that moment is he goes, I need to go home. I need to go back home. As he turns up on his mother's doorstep, knocks on the door, and she's like, what the heck are you doing here? He's like, I'm back. It's like, why are you back? And so he has a chat with his pastor, and he asks permission to hold services with young people. And on that night after the adult prayer meeting, he asked the young people to stay behind because he's like, I want to deliver what the Lord's put in my heart. 16 adults and one little girl stay. You can just picture it, can't you? And there's this great bit where it says, after his initial disappointment, He's like, I have got this vision that God is going to change the world. And then he looks at the crowd and he's like, it's going to have to be the Lord. Have you ever seen that happen elsewhere in scripture? That's the amazing thing, isn't it? God births things from small places. And then he begins to explain his reason for coming home. And he said, I'm simply obeying the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's asked me to come back. And here at Mariah, large numbers of young people are going to be saved. And above all, a mighty revival is going to come to Wales. So he pronounces it there with this group of probably pretty unimpressive people, I imagine. Pretty audacious statement. On November the 2nd, Evan was back at Mariah. And what happened is it just began to spread like wildfire. More and more people started coming to these little gatherings. It was like I talked about the fire of God. That's what happened. The fire of God came. And Evan spoke on four kind of uh, tenants or points or whatever. And it's just interesting to know what they is. He says this, confess all known sin to God, receiving forgiveness through Jesus Christ. So when the power of God comes, there is often a confession moment because we're undone. Secondly, remove anything from your life that you're in doubt or feel unsure about. That's just great advice, isn't it? I mean, it's not rocket science. If you're unsure about it, get rid of it. Be totally yielded and obedient to the Holy Spirit. And then finally, publicly confess the Lord Jesus Christ. So what happened is the meetings broke with the conventional, traditional, this was a traditional church. And often the ministers, they just sat down unable to preach or even to understand what was going on. Because the power of God had come into their meetings. They were like, we are utterly undone by this. And then the revival spread rapidly over Wales as churches caught the fire and the Spirit of God moved through the land in great power. News of dramatic conversions, confession of sin, and songs of joy spreading rapidly. Wherever this very ordinary man Evan went, the Holy Spirit brought deep conviction of sin and new spiritual dimension into the lives of formerly apathetic and cold churchgoers. It started in the church. That's what happened is, when a move of God happens, often... The people in the church, the fire of God enters and they are undone and things change in them. Elsewhere it says, he was not a great expository preacher. He was a pretty uneducated man. Sounds familiar with the disciples, doesn't it? Again, this was not a show. This was not something impressive. This was the power of God coming and working through ordinary men and women. 
leading to a moving of the Holy Spirit. In one of the valley communities, young men and women walked in procession through the streets singing hymns and visiting pubs to invite those inside to come to the revival. Many of the places were completely deserted and others had their trade. They were just gone. The pubs shut. The football grounds shut down because the move of God was so incredible. People were like, what's the point in going to see the football? You know God's come at that point, don't you? I mean, some of you are sitting there going, we already know that. As revival fire spread across Wales in late 1904 and early 1905, although no official records were kept of the actual number converted, 100,000 is considered a very conservative estimate during the first six months. So 100,000 people came to know the Lord in a six-month period. People's lives were transformed by the thousands. This was indeed a sovereign move of God's Holy Spirit. Whole communities were turned upside down and were radically changed from complete mess to glorious goodness. The crime rate dropped often to nothing. The police force reported that they had little more to do than supervise the coming and going of the people to chapel prayer meetings. That was it. The magistrates turned up to their courts to discover that there were no cases to try. They had nothing to do. The alcohol trade was decimated as people got caught more by what was happening in their local churches than what was happening in the bars and the other places that they went to. Families experienced amazing renewal. Because what happened is where the man would often have been the keeper of the money, would have gone out and worked, and then probably drunk on his way home, kept the money and given very little to the family. Sorry, men, but that was the reality. What happened was they started giving money to the But they came back home because they stopped drinking. And then families began to change because suddenly they had just this uplift. People were saved. Individual lives were changed. And the society itself was changed. Many were converted in their workplaces as prayer meetings were established in them. This happened a lot down in the coal mines. Miners would sing hymns as they descended in the cages. New believing miners would share their stories with their colleagues and lead them to Jesus while they worked together. Others were saved on trains and railway stations. People prayed aloud and spontaneously in meetings for people to come and find faith. They were calling out for people to meet Jesus. And sometimes their prayers were answered right there in the moment in dramatic cases. Sorry, in dramatic ways. In some cases, those who were the subjects of the prayers came under the conviction at that very time the prayers were being spoken out. There are many counts of men leaving pints untouched in pubs and making their way to a revival meeting to surrender to Jesus. The whole atmosphere of the place changed so that the sense of the revival going on was inescapable. The presence of God could be felt in the very air that you breathed. You either gave way to it, sometimes after a big struggle, or you completely rejected it and definitively turned your back towards God. I just want you to remind you where of this all of this started to come back. This all started because Evan Roberts wanted more intimacy with the Lord. He was like, I want more of God. And then the Lord broke in in a powerful way and uprooted him and undid his soul. And then what happened is the Lord began to pour in his vision. Because when you are in that place of surrender, when you've opened yourself up before the Lord, then you are ready for the Lord to pour in his vision. And this is just the most audacious thing because he's in school and the Lord says, I want you to go home and tell the people this vision. I mean, he could have been utterly rejected. You know, this, 
when you, when you think about it, with those 16 people and that one girl, as he's selling this vision that God is going to move mightily in Wales. God knew. So what? Why have I shared this story with us today? Firstly, because I feel like I'm obedient, being obedient to what the Lord's asked me to do. You can never manufacture a revival as a sovereign act of God. That's the first thing that I w- would want to say. But what you can do is you can put people, as a people, you can position yourself for the Lord to move in power. That's what you can do. Imagine, and I've read a number of times just about how you think about this like surfing. Moves of God are often called waves of the Holy Spirit by church historians because they often behave like waves of the sea. So if you imagine the sea, there is nothing that we can do to control the sea. But I feel like the Lord's invitation to us is to be like surfers that are prepared to catch the wave. That's the, that's the image. It's like, what would that look like to just prepare ourselves just because we want to see God move? That's all I'm saying. I, I love what's happening in our community, but I'm so desperate for more. I'm so desperate for us to carry the spirit in a greater power. I don't want to stay here. So in finishing, what does this look like for us as a community? I have one thought, because it's really easy for me at this point to give you 17 thoughts that we need to do. And it's this one phrase that really stuck out to me. It said, Evan was obedient to the Holy Spirit. That he was obedient to the Holy Spirit. The obedience to the Holy Spirit for him looked like going home in that moment and doing what the Lord had asked asked him to do. If we want to be kingdom carriers in this city and this nation, we have to learn to be a obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I started with two little stories of a youth and a student who were obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit this week. That's all that they did, is that the Lord just prompted them and said, you know, I want you to, st- I want you to pray for your friend who doesn't have faith. In fact, I'm going to make you do it in a sixth form room in front of everybody else. I'm sure that person sat there and like, oh, Lord, why couldn't I just do this in a quiet room somewhere? But they were obedient to the Holy Spirit. The first thing that you have to do to be obedient to the Holy Spirit is to learn to listen. So many of us love to talk. We love to talk at God and we love to tell him about everything that's going on. And we're like, God, you need to do this. And the first thing that we have to do as people that want to learn to ride ride the wave of the Holy Spirit is learn to listen. And so if I was to put it in two words, it would be, three words, it would be listen and obey. I think that's all that the Lord would ask us to do, is to learn to listen to the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what kingdom carriers look like. That's what happens when we begin to walk in that, is that you might be in work tomorrow, and you've just inclined your heart towards Jesus. You've woken up that day, and you're like, God, where are you moving today? I just want to be on board. An interesting question is, you walked in today, what was your posture? Was it Do you know what, Lord, is there anybody in this community and this room that you want to speak to today? Do you want me to encourage anybody? Do you want me to pray for anybody? Do you want me, Lord, I'm just open for what you're doing today. If you can do that in here, there's no reason why we can't do that in our workplace. Steve Nicholson gave this great picture for us when he talked about workplaces. Somebody asked him, what does it look like to be a Christian in your workplace? And he says, I want you to be the chaplain to your workplace. 
I just thought that is such an amazing image of what we're called to. I want you to be the person that people come and talk to when there's something going on. And that you're there and that you listen and that you pray for them. And I genuinely believe it's as simple as that. That as we, as a church, we just need to learn to be obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit more. Because he's always speaking. It's just a case of, are we always listening? So why don't you stand?